0: Hello, and welcome to the She Flourishes podcast, a weekly soul stirring conversation that lifts you out of the funk and into the flourishing life so you can live life as the best version of you. I'm your host, Brenda Jasmine. For the past 11 years, I've been coaching women and leading personal development workshops as a speaker and mindset coach. She Flourishes is an extension of those workshops and conversations. And is designed to help you create the flourishing life that you were meant to live. Let's get started. Hello, everyone. I am thrilled to have a special guest with me today. I have Kirsten Fry, who is a certified grief recovery specialist and personal transformation coach in Burlington, Ontario. And Kirsten, like I'm sure many of our listeners, has walked the path of loss many times, and she's experienced the death of loved ones, divorce, miscarriage, and as a former police officer, she's lost friends and colleagues to violence and suicide. And each time she used the tools that she'd been taught, which was at that point to be strong and grieve alone. And she accepted each loss and moved on, or so she thought so since then and through a transformative life event that kirsten will share with us she has found some effective tools that she needed to resolve the incomplete losses in her life and create the closer connections she'd always wanted and it changed her life and now she's passionate to share the education and tools so that more people can effectively move through their own unique loss and grief in a caring and supportive way she wholeheartedly believes we are meant to live our lives fully expressed and emotionally free so welcome to the she flourishes podcast kirsten thank you brenda i'm excited to be here with you today especially in person yes so this is one of the first few episodes that we're actually doing Um, in person. We're just outside of Toronto in a podcast recording studio. So this is super exciting. And thank you for being game to be one of the first (laughs) (laughs) uh, uh, in-person guests on the show. So um, I wanted to bring you on the show, Kirsten, and, and I had mentioned to you earlier, I'd wanted to bring you on the show because recently through like people I know personally and through clients, within the matter of a week, um, not about a couple weeks ago, um, I heard of six different people losing someone in their lives, um, people that had passed away. And it was like one after another. And, you know, I don't know if you noticed that it seems that way in life, right? That these things sometimes, you know, it's it's not sometimes just one, but the fact that there were six losses in a row in such a short period of time, I thought, you know what, I think a lot of people um, are dealing with grief. And it was a sign to me that, hey, I know who I need to invite (laughs) on the podcast is Kirsten being a a grief coach and uh, a grief specialist. So I thought it was really timely. And at any time we can be dealing with grief. So maybe you could tell us a little bit about how did you even become, get involved in this and become a grief recovery coach? Well, that's such a great question.
1: And I, of course, want to thank you for the opportunity because one of the things that really lights me up is to be able to share education around like, what is grief? And what does that look like? Because the reality is a lot of us have learned you know, through life, how to acquire things. But we've never really been taught what to do when we lose things Mm -hmm. or people or relationships or experiences. And so that leaves us with this, like, really misunderstood conversation, of course, our You know, our upbringing from our parents, societal Mm -hmm. conditioning around grief and loss, um, which most people have a tendency to attribute to death or dying and uh, maybe even a divorce. But the reality is, is that grief is part of every change and or end of something that happens for us. And it's all the conflicting feelings. It's not just acute sadness at the moment of a, a immediate loss, mm-hmm. but we can carry unresolved grief with us uh, along the way. And that's actually what brought me to grief recovery. Mm. So uh, my background, as you shared, is uh, I was a police officer for almost 18 years and I um, You know, there's a lot of things that you see within policing, plus my own personal life, having moved through some of the experiences that you shared. And, you know, there's a lot of misinformation that we learn about grief growing up. And Mm -hmm. there's six sort of myths that we talk about in grief recovery. Mm -hmm. And the two that I really sort of took on as Mm -hmm. like my way of um, being resilient through these changes and losses was to be strong and grieve alone. And so, like, I really took that on and really lived that. And, you know, with my background as a police officer, the expectation is that you're going to come to a scene and, like, resolve chaos in a moment and there's not a lot of time to take action. And so, you know, there isn't time to actually process whatever the feelings are around a certain situation. Mm -hmm. And it becomes part of who we are. And, you know, this... The misinformation we learn starts at a really young age. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we do the best that we can, but because we don't have significant loss, it's not uncommon, but it doesn't happen so often that we learn new tools or new ways that can actually help us um, acknowledge what's coming up for us in terms of emotion, process those feelings properly, and then heal Mm -hmm. And so my own personal situation was that it was like most people, we adapt to Mm -hmm. the losses and changes that happen in our life. But adapting doesn't mean healing. And this is a misconception that I think a lot of people have because logically we, you know, there's this sort of shocking event or shift that's happened for us. So, yes, there will be an emotional sort of reaction that comes to that. And then we're meaning-making machines as human beings, right? So very quickly, we want to logically try to understand or find meaning behind what has happened uh, to us and for us. And what happens with that case is that, you know, we adapt to the loss and the shift in our familiar pattern of behavior. But as I mentioned, it doesn't mean that we've actually healed it because we've come from a logical, common sense place, our Mm. logical mind, but grief isn't logical, it's emotional. Mm. So when we're trying to use our brain to heal our heart, it's actually the wrong tool for the job. And so it doesn't end up being very effective
0: long-term. That's really fascinating. And it's so true. We think, well, I've adapted to this, so I must have healed. I'm good. (laughs) I'm good. I'm good to go. And um, I was... um, I was watching uh, that Instagram um, video you did about when your son had gone to university and talking about being an empty nester. And um, and when you said, I think you said in that video that, um, you know, you thought you were fine. And then I think you looked at the front door or something and you saw his shoes there and and, you know, this wave of sadness hit you and you realized and you said in that moment, your heart hadn't caught up with your mind. And I thought that was so profound when you said that because it's so true. Like, and, and actually, my son is leaving for university this fall. So, Logically, I'm saying, "Oh yeah, you know, it's fine." <laughs> Going through all the the prep, and then it was funny because even just listening to you do that video, I burst into tears. <laughs> I started crying. I guess that's the anticipatory grief, right? Of of, but my heart wasn't logically. I was saying it, and I thought, "Oh, I'm fine. I'm fine." And so my heart um, responded to you talking about that as well. So well, that's why I appreciate you know, be guesting on your podcast,
1: because as you know, sharing our stories is what creates the connection for us. Because a lot of times we'll, especially now with so much technology, um, we're really disconnected and a lot of us because we're so busy in our lives we're actually disconnected from ourselves so we're operating generally coming from our logical mind because we have all the things to do and you know this is what happens for us but we forget that we have a heart that we have a you know an intuition and instinct also from our guts that is also providing us with information but we tend to not put as much um we don't put as much Attention or focus on it, or we we demean it in some way, like it's not as important as um, our logical mind. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think we miss the boat on some of those things when it comes to it. And unfortunately, it catches up to us because grief compounds; it doesn't go anywhere. We've just gotten really good at you know suppressing it, burying it, denying it, numbing it out. Like we've gotten very good at that. And of course, there's you know, so much stimulus around us to distract us. So that becomes very easy to default to that. But the reality is, is there's going to be a time where that will catch up to us. Uh, where those compounding losses, where perhaps we aren't emotionally resolved with what has happened. And I'm not saying that with every change in loss that you're always going to be emotionally unresolved. Uh, There's a lot of times that we do resolve those things um, just quite naturally from our own abilities and who we are as a person. But for a lot of us, and I include myself in that I did not have the tools to effectively move through the grieving experiences, and especially some of the more significant ones in my life. Mm-hmm. And that came to a head, and it became very apparent.
0: Yeah. Do you want to tell us some more about that? I know there was one incident in particular that you said really brought you to
1: sure to Actually, what coaching, brought me—so yeah. I had already—I've um, moved through um, a few careers, and I was already life coaching— Um, And there was a piece of it that was missing for me, but during that time, what I also discovered is that uh, at 48, I found out that I was adopted. And this had been a secret in my family. Uh, My mother had decided, my parents both had decided that they were not going to share that information with my brother and I. And the family was sworn to secrecy otherwise they would not have been welcome to have a relationship with us. And I'll never know what the reasons behind that were. And, and really, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Um, but it explained a lot of things that happened in my childhood in terms of um, emotional distance and uh, not having the information. When when secrets are kept, that's where like shame happens and we don't have the whole story. So at 48, having found out that I was adopted, for me, it was like... In that moment, everything stopped. It was very shocking uh, Mm -hmm. in that split second. And then very quickly I fell back on like my policing background. So like asking a lot of questions, wanting Mm -hmm. to find out the why, what happened. And unfortunately, the family member that shared with me had no information because none had been shared with them. And so I was left with a lot of gaps in the story. And so for me, it really felt like while well, it explained a lot of things from my childhood. It also really brought up this sense of feeling like I had no tribe and I mm-hmm. felt like I'd been lied to my whole life, that secrets had been kept for me, that, um, I mean, I had a strong sense of who I was, obviously, mm-hmm. at that stage of my life, but it was still this sense. It felt like that little girl again, right? Mm-hmm. Feeling like, oh, that kind of explains why I never felt like that full connection and never could understand why. So, you know, I went through an emotional reaction, obviously, around that piece of it, uh, took some time to process those emotions and my thoughts around that and what did that mean and, you know, kind of adapted to the new information Mm -hmm. and then was like, okay, it is what it is and kind of moved on from that. (laughs) but grief is sneaky sometimes. And so what had happened is about 18 months later, I was starting to have physical symptoms that were actually showing up in my body. And so I had moved from, I had done policing for 18 years. I was a personal trainer and holistic nutritionist for eight years and then went into coaching. So I knew my body really well and Mm -hmm. what when it felt right and when things felt off. And so over a period of 18 months, I was starting to have symptoms I'd never had in my life before, including anxiety. And that included even being as a police officer. Mm-hmm. I had insomnia, which I had sleep issues kind of throughout my life. And there was this pain in my chest that I couldn't attribute to anything else. There was nothing wrong with me physically. We had mm-hmm. that all checked out. Uh, but it was just this like ache and pain that was like, it would come and go, but it was like consistently always there to a point where I was catching myself unconsciously, like rubbing my chest or mm-hmm. tapping on my chest in almost like an unconscious soothing of myself. Mm-hmm. And so um, I was at a, a girls weekend that had a business component to it and we were working with a business tool and there was some frustration around not being able to answer the tool, and I was like, why can't I find the answer to this? And it, there was a bit of an emotional like breakdown around that mm-hmm. piece, around the frustration and, and not having the clarity and the answers around it. And in that moment, there was this like whisper that came up from deep within me, which I know is my intuitive place, uh, and literally in cursive, like in my mind's eye, I, I saw heal your heart. Mm-hmm. And part of me was like, what does that mean? <laughs> like, I didn't even know what that meant. It was like the observer part of me was like, ah, and m- uh, me feeling it was like, where is this coming from? Uh, but I had been very fortunate to, uh, a few months before, meet a, a wonderful woman by the name of Tammy Adams, who uh, did grief recovery work. And uh, after that weekend, I came home and spoke with her and very quickly went into a deep dive on my own grief, not just around the adoption, uh, what was unresolved for me around that and the relationships within that, but also some other losses that I wasn't emotionally complete with. And mm. uh, I'll forever
0: be grateful for her for mm. that. Wow. So thank you for sharing that, Kristen. And I can't imagine at the age of 48, finding out you're adopted like that. I, I, I can't imagine it. So and interesting how um, like we're talking about, we always think grief has to do with death and dying, but mm. the grief that um, I would you, so you'd call it, gr- it was a grief of, what were you grieving? You were grieving the the not knowing or the, like, I'm wondering what that, what is that? How would you equate, like finding out you're adopted to grief? What was the grief about, would you say? I think that's a great question. Cause again, it highlights how most of us, when we talk about
1: grief, We think it's the acute sadness, right, Mm -hmm. that we feel. And it is that. And it's also all the conflicting feelings and emotions that come up when there is this change or end of, you know, a familiar pattern of behavior. So my familiar family actually wasn't. And it explained a lot of things, as I said, going through here. So the grief for me, the feelings that came up, the conflicting feelings were... A sense of betrayal, not having been told the truth about who I was Mm -hmm. and where I came from. Not understanding, like, confusion around Mm -hmm. not understanding why this never got shared, even as I grew into an adult. It felt like a loss of tribe. I felt like I didn't belong anywhere. It was Mm -hmm. a loss of identity. It was a loss of tribe. It was a loss of trust in Mm -hmm. people not being truthful with me and people who were in a position that would I would have expected that to mm-hmm. have happened. Yes. And so there was a lot that was going on. Anger even though I had worked on my relationships with my parents like earlier on in my life through counseling and therapy and that kind of thing which I think we all come into our healing in our own time and in our own way with whatever tools and I always firmly believe that whatever that journey looks like for people, you know, take that step that resonates for you that Feels like the next right healing step for you.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Thank you for that. And so I think that's, yeah, I can I can imagine that, um, yeah, a loss of a loss of tribe, a loss of that family, that sense of belonging in that moment. And so it is. It's any kind of loss, and and you talked about too, like the empty nest, um, our kids leaving home can be a loss or a transition, like when people. Um, I guess, what are some other common life transitions that would make us feel grief? Um, There's many. There's at least 40, maybe more,
1: even since COVID. COVID really blew the lid off of that for a lot of people where, because it was a loss of all of our familiar ways of being, right? How Mm -hmm. we went to work, how we went to school, how we shopped, how we visited with family, how, you know, we weren't able to, all the... Ceremonies and rituals and celebrations that we have to highlight the ending of one aspect of our life before Mm -hmm. we move into the next aspect. We didn't have access to those things. We didn't have access to our stress relieving ways of dealing with um, change and stress and grief. And so. I think a lot of people got really close to grief, but because we only attributed it to death and dying, we're not naming it, so you can't tame it. Mm-hmm. And so when we're stuck with that, with those feelings and just like, okay, we'll just adapt and move through it. But the reality is it could be retirement. It could be like things like retirement and promotion, which seem like very positive things. Mm-hmm. And even like our kids going off to school because it's the next rite of passage for them. Mm-hmm. But the reality is we have to say goodbye to that one aspect of our life before we move into the next stage of our life. And it's like the incomplete not um, saying goodbye to those things. So for me, as you shared that story about our son going off to university, he was totally prepared to go. We were totally prepared for him to go. It was all like, yeah, it's and on the way home, sure, there were some tears. I expected it. It was like, yep, here we go, right, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and allowed that to happen and all the rest of it. And as you shared, three weeks later, sitting in the office doing some work, not even thinking about him specifically, mm-hmm. but happening to look up, and his shoes weren't at the front door. And this, out of nowhere, it just came over me where I actually ended up putting my head down on the desk and having a good, you know, cry for several minutes. And I was, like, surprised at the intensity of how that came through. And what, I, what I've what i discovered is that, sure, logically, it was like next right steps. Everybody's happy, next right step for him. But I hadn't grieved the mother-son relationship. Because now that relationship has changed as he's stepping into adulthood and those kinds of things. So it's moving from mothering to more mentoring, right? Mm-hmm. And being there as a support if and when he needs it, not us nurturing them from the mommy perspective, right? right.
0: Yes. And I'm getting teary just hearing you talk about that because, and I, we had a conversation ahead of time, I was saying to Kristen, I think we're going to need to bring you on again um, to talk about. Being an empty nester, <laughs> as that's the next the next phase of life, um, the, the next big transition that uh, that we're go- I'm going into, and um, yeah, it's it's any kind of loss that we can really feel that sadness and and um, and we can keep bumping into it. So like you know, and I'm not a stranger to grief. I lost my dad when I was 24, and I lost my mom. Um, well, a little, I guess, about 10 years ago now. And, um, you know, even though I feel like I did all the things to move through it, and it's funny, though, when, when I lost my mom, I remember thinking, okay, I'm going to, like, because then I was a life coach, <laughs> I'm going to I'm gonna read all the books on grieving, I'm going to do all the things, and I'm going to, oh, you're going to laugh, at this, I'm going to power through <laughs> this grieving, I'm going to grieve properly, I'm going to do it right, I'm going to do all the things, <laughs> right? So you can, what do you think happened? <laughs> Yeah, have that go for you yeah and it's it's you can't power through grief just note to self <laughs> note to our listeners and um you really just have to go through it and you just have to go through the things and we all go through at our own pace right like it's 100 percent. and again that's some of the misinformation
1: that we get you know like time heals all wounds we hear that cliche right yeah and that one can be a bit confusing because in some ways it does make sense so um think about it like you break your leg, and you know you get the leg set, and it does take time for those bones to re-knit, to heal. Um, it does need that, but you also took an action step. You went to the hospital. You got a cast on your leg. You took an yeah. action step to move you into that healing space, mm-hmm. and so, and also when people see that we have an injury, people are more supportive, more understanding. But when it comes to grief and a loss it's like here's your time frame (laughs) that Mm -hmm. we give you Mm -hmm. and there is no time frame right and as you said and because this is the big thing that I really want people to understand is that loss is universal Mm -hmm. if you're a human being you're going to move through loss many times in your life Mm -hmm. right and but grief is personal and this is where it gets confusing because it's it's our relationship. It's the uniqueness of our relationship. So, for example, you and I both have lost our mothers. So, but maybe you had a really loving, connected, close relationship with your mother, and perhaps I didn't. Mine might, would have been what we call a less-than-loving relationship. Mm. So even though we've had the similar experience of losing our mothers, I can't say I know how you feel because I wasn't in that relationship. Mm. That was your unique relationship with your mom. And so— You know, we can say we put ourselves in that place as empathetic human beings. But the reality is, I really don't know how you feel. I remember how it felt when I moved through my loss. Mm -hmm. And how can I support you and hear you and understand you from your point of view? Because at the end of the day, we all have our own belief systems and core values. But every single human being has three core values, which is to be seen, to be heard and to be understood. Beautiful
0: to be seen, to be heard, to be understood, and so true. How you know two people's losses? Like it can you can lose someone the same relationship, but it can be very different. And so it's really important to yeah to say for us to say, oh, I know how you feel. And it's hard because we don't always know what to say. Right? We get uncomfortable. It's because like you said, no one's taught us. And then you know, and I remember when I lost my dad. I remember being at work and um, and this man I worked with, he came up, he said, oh, um, you don't seem yourself lately. You seem, you know, you're not your happy self. You seem kind of like not, you know, kind of down. And I sort of looked at him and I guess he'd forgotten. And Mm -hmm. I forget how much, you know, I said, I'm like, well, you know, my dad did die not that long ago. and, And I felt, you know, like people should know, but they don't always remember, right? Even like, and maybe it had been like a few weeks and I was still not um, not myself, but you know, and I and I know people always mean well, and, and I'm sure he, you know, you know, we get all we all get busy and we forget, but it is like we don't really know the right thing to say, um, or we say maybe things like, "Oh, I know how you feel," when we really. We really don't.
1: Yeah. And then that sets us up for people don't want to stick their foot in their mouth and be upset the person. And people don't know, do I mention the father? Do I mention? Do I not say anything? So people end up doing nothing. Mm -hmm. And then that leaves the person who's had the significant loss feeling really sort of isolated and alone, Mm -hmm. which is kind of sad considering that we all move through these experiences. Mm-hmm. Right. And it is tough. I get it. Because again, we all move through our grief differently, even in families. So you know, the family, say, for example, has lost the father. So the wife is left, the kids are left, and each of them had their own unique relationship with the father or husband. And so how we respond to grief is based on who you are. So you might have someone who is very emotional, and someone who's more stoic. And there is no right or wrong way to do it, no. but when we look at it, so for I've seen this happen in, in uh, families where, you know, someone's very emotional and the other members of the family are like, you got to pull it together, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you got to get a grip. And then the person who's very stoic and maybe not showing a whole lot of emotion the other people are like well you're heartless and you're not you have no caring about what's happening here which isn't not the truth probably for both sides and so this is the whole point about we don't really understand grief well which is why having these kinds of conversations is so important because i'm always interested in how people move through their experiences and recognize there's still going to be days and times where you know, we miss the person, especially um, family functions, family vacations, other milestone uh, experiences in the family where that person's absence is felt. Mm-hmm. And so being able to talk about the person you've lost or your are um, telling the emotional truth about how you feel about a circumstance, because that could be job loss, that could be a change in your own health perspective, finances, you know, difficult relationships with your kids or family members or friends, estrangements, Mm -hmm. There's like so many things and we just don't think of it, even in things like promotion when it comes to work and retirement. So promotion seems like a really positive thing and Mm -hmm. it is, but maybe you've built a really close team and now you're moving on to another area of the business with this promotion. That's an ending of one aspect and all of those relationships, those people you've been in meetings in and Mm -hmm. collaborated with and had connection with. And now there's like more responsibility that goes with maybe a higher paycheck or a title or whatever has come with that promotion. So that's the conflicting emotions we have. It's like, well, I should be happy about this. But I'm also feeling like a little apprehensive and I miss the people that I worked with because they just got me and, you know, those types of things. So every change will Mm -hmm. have an emotional impact on us, some more significant than others. And then it's just being able to tell ourselves the emotional truth so that then we're able to show up authentically for who we are and flourish as we're meant to be.
0: Yes, yes. And Oh, there's so many ways, like so many ways we experience grief and loss. And I, I never would have thought of that with a promotion, but you're right. It's like a transition and we're going to maybe miss our, our colleagues or maybe now you're, you're, yeah, you're their boss or something. And that relationship is different. And so you don't feel the same with those people or they don't feel the same with you. And so what can we do? So we're thinking about, if we're thinking about what can get in the way of our flourishing and obviously when we're grieving, it's hard to even think about flourishing, right? It feels like we're languishing when we're, when we're sad um, and when we are experiencing loss. So what are some things that we can do? What can help us as we're grieving?
1: That's going to be subjective for every single person. And so, however, what I would say, number one, is we need to honor those grieving moments that we have. We need to honor the cycles of our life right our our society is very much about always expanding always ex- evolving it's always the celebration of things the you know being successful all of those things that go with life and that's great and we see it in social media all the time. And but what about the other cycles of life, right? Like we mm-hmm. have those times where we plant the seeds for whatever we're trying to create in our lives. Then there's the growing, evolving, expanding phase, which is super exciting and we all like that. And then there's the, you know, the harvesting time where we get to celebrate what we've accomplished. Mm-hmm. And then there's the winter aspect of it and we tend to like want to slide right through that one because it's kind of dark and quiet and we have to go inside and look at some of those things internally. And, and if we're it, not posting that
0: on Facebook no, <laughs> or Instagram.
1: <laughs> no, we're not. And I can see, I can understand why to a degree too, because the reality is when, when we're dealing with our internal uh, heavier or difficult or painful emotions, not everybody deserves to hear our story. So to blast it out you know, on social media is not necessarily the right way to go with that, but we have a tendency to isolate ourselves and not get the support and, and help that we need. And it doesn't mean necessarily that we need to in every time, but when we're in uh, moments of grief to recognize And be okay with the fact that I'm moving through a loss. And just because, you know, using your example of that gentleman that asked about why you weren't so bright and shiny like you normally are, and it had been several weeks since your dad had died, it's like, it's only been a few weeks. Mm -hmm. This was a lifelong foundational loving relationship for you, for someone that you're going to miss your whole life. And so... Yeah, it's it's understanding that those times are going to come up and that we're going to feel those losses from time to time. But we're in such a rush, like we try to go around it, we try to dig under it, we try to bury it and move it all out of Our the way. Or power through. Or power through because that's who we are. And the reality is you can do that for a period of time. It will catch up to you. And that's the problem because when it does, sometimes it has that sense of like that compounding that we've been unconscious to, to a period of time. And then there's an incident that happens that maybe isn't as significant as some of the other ones that we've had, but it's the straw. So Mm -hmm. everything that's been left unresolved, whether it's anger, resentment, guilt, bitterness, shame, you know, frustration, all of these things, these feelings that we've carried, you know, lack of self-worth or like should have done more or better, um, all of these feelings come with us and then it erupts. And so sometimes the reaction feels like way over the top for what is actually occurring in that moment. That's just unresolved grief. Mm-hmm. So when I talk to someone like yourself, where we're just having that conversation, with me sharing that story about my son going to university, mm-hmm. and when someone's like eyes like fill sort of right out, like out of nowhere, for me, that's just a good indication. It's like, okay, there's something a little painful for someone there or something that's coming up for them to either know, learn or heal. Mm -hmm. And so like, that's explore that if you're open to doing that. And if you're not, it's not the right time that is perfectly okay too. Mm -hmm. But knowing that there's a safe space, that there's a trusted space, that there's someone that will actually like, listen to. Hear and is interested in hearing and helping you move through it, mm-hmm. I think that's really important. But so often those things come up and we're like, oh, sorry, sorry, and we're, we're like wiping yeah. our eyes. Like there's something wrong with that. Mm-hmm. But tears are our, natural, our body's natural way of helping us relieve pent-up emotional energy. So it's a very healthy, normal, natural thing to have happen and not something to be embarrassed about. Mm-hmm. So I always tell the people I work with like, you know, that'll, there's tears a lot of the time and laughter and mm-hmm. all the things that go with it. But it's like own your tears. Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with them, mm-hmm. right? It's just our own feeling about it or our conditioning around it. And again, the, the discrepancy between men and women is also a tough one with that.
0: Yes, yes. Harder for, can you, do you want to say more about that? The discrepancy with men and women? And I do because I have a, a soft topic. spot for men. Like mm-hmm. I, I worked in
1: policing for a lot of years. And so, um I've seen what it takes to do those types of jobs. I see the toll that it takes. And people who are strong and grieve alone because they're there to protect the rest of us, there's a cost to that. Mm-hmm. And when that's not acknowledged, there is it. There is uh, an unraveling at some point in some aspect of life, because that's mm-hmm. the thing. It might not show up in work, but maybe it's showing up in your relationships. In your health, which we tend to see, that's the warning sign for Mm -hmm. a lot of people. Myself, it was this like, where is this anxiety coming from? Where is this chest pain coming from? Mm -hmm. Um, And so for men, I think because when we're young, again, one of the misunderstandings that we learn or the myths that we learn around grief is like, don't feel bad because Mm -hmm. our families, our parents don't like to see our children suffering or hurting or upset or sad or crying. Um, And maybe if you came from a less than loving home, it would have been like, go to your room or I'll give you something to cry about. Like there's all kinds Mm -hmm. of things that we move through in terms of not being able to honor our honest emotion at the time. So it's like, okay, you had a bad day at school, you got, you know, bullied or your friends don't want to play with you anymore. And that's heartbreaking for a little person. And mom and dad are like, that's okay. And, you know, here's a cookie. Mm. So then we learn very quickly how to soothe ourselves with something outside of ourselves as opposed to actually dealing with what the actual emotion was in that moment. And so fast forward to where we are now, and we've learned how to use substances or things or things outside of ourselves to help soothe the uncomfortable or painful feelings that happen for us. Mm -hmm. And for men, it's tough because for women, we've been conditioned in a lot of ways that it's not okay to be angry. Yes. And for men, in a lot of ways, generally speaking, of course, it's not okay to be sad. But tears okay are, be angry. yeah, tears are a weakness. You're vulnerable, which can be emasculating, especially when you're hearing that societally, like as you're moving through your growing up years and who are you and how do you fit in the world? So then we put on this, like, we all armor up, right? We all armor up to come out into the world to be a contribution and do who we are, but we're not actually being who we truly are. We're showing up with what the expectation is of who we should be. Mm-hmm. And so And that's a loss, too, because not being able to show up authentically with who you are, and there's an impact to that. There's a reason why men are four times more likely than women to commit suicide. There's a reason why men have higher rates of addiction and anger management, because anger is just the reactive emotion to some of these deeper emotions that are below, including grief, not feeling seen, not feeling heard, and not feeling understood,
0: maybe over a lifetime. Wow! Yeah, so true, and it's true. It's it's easier for a woman, um, or more socially acceptable for me to sit here and get teary when you're talking, or you know, shed tears than it would be. Um, a, a man may not feel as comfortable because socially, that's not what they're told to do. But yeah, anger, anger is is can be okay to show. Yeah, more socially, uh, acceptable. more socially, yes.
1: For a guy, because it's more like masculine, I guess, if you want to put it from that perspective. But this is where it's like, this is where it's like, this is why we have to have these conversations. Because even when you're in relationship, so women are like, well, what are you feeling? Right. And guys are like, I don't know. In the moment, if they don't, because they haven't been, they haven't had the same amount of practice, generally speaking, again, that women have in terms of like touching in with the feelings, because mm-hmm. it's not supposed to be about the feelings for them, right? Like you just show up, you do what you got to do, and away you go. And you, mm-hmm. they've learned very early on to bury that. So... To be able to access those emotions might take a bit longer, more introspection or more assistance to be, because they're not practiced at doing it as well or as often as we have, having the availability to talk the way that women talk mm-hmm. versus the way men are in communication with each other. Mm-hmm. And yet, this is life, courageous, life-affirming work. I work with men, too, and honestly, like, it just lights me up when they come because it's, like, excellent because we have a ripple effect in the world around us. So when Mm. we take personal responsibility for our own healing, that just – that has an impact on all the things in your life, how you show up in all the aspects of your life. Yes. And so then you stand as an example for what's possible for other people.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then it just continues on. And that's what excites me about having these conversations. Again, I'm so grateful for mm-hmm. you for inviting me on to talk oh, about this. Well,
0: it's so important. And I love that, you know, and you do create that safe space. Like you've, you've, you're, you are talking to people about grief all the time. So I think that's really beautiful too, because a lot of people don't want to make other people feel uncomfortable. So I think it's, you know, the fact that you are a grief recovery coach, that people who are grieving have a safe place, have someone they can talk to because you can only, you know, and I I actually, um, when my mom was diagnosed um, with pancreatic cancer, we knew it was terminal. I actually... um, I did go, I hired, I didn't know you. (laughs) I would have come to see you. I didn't know you. Um, But I, um, I saw a woman, I think she was a social worker or something, who dealt with grief. And I just said, you know what, I need help getting through this. Like, this was even before she died. I was like, I just need someone to talk to that... I don't have to worry about them worrying about me <laughs> in my life, like my family or my yes. friends, because they—I was leaning on them very heavily at the time as well. Um, but I wanted that safe space, so I think it's really amazing the work that you do, and really important, and for men and women to have a safe um, someone safe that they can speak with. So this whole idea of what can help you is yeah, don't go it alone, and honor your grief. And is there anything else you want to share about what people can do? Um, if they're grieving.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I, I want to come at it again coming to respect where you're coming from, too, in terms of the thriving piece. Because I often mm-hmm. get people say to me, like, isn't that, like, so depressing, listening to people's sad stories? And no, it's a privilege, actually, and an honor to be able to hold that space for people. And I recognize what I do is not for everyone, right? Mm-hmm. It, it takes... Um, You have to be prepared to do the work. We dig in a little bit and also having that safe space. But there's lots of other modalities out there, therapy, counseling, grief support groups, Uh, myself as a coach, there's other grief recovery uh, specialists that are out there. There's all sorts of like other things that we can do to help us process. I have a friend of mine who's a clinical psychologist and she does breath work and sound healing workshops. So there's things that can help us shift and move through to help us get out of our logical mind, Mm -hmm. recognizing that it's not about necessarily the understanding. It's about the allowing yourself to feel it, process it and then move to that space of healing as you go through it. Because until we do that, if we don't, it does have a life-limiting effect because the barriers are there. Like we might let I was this way, let people in only so far, but not like all the way. So we're not actually authentically living from who the space that we are. And so we're keeping ourselves from the love and support and connection that we may need at those times. And so, you know, because we've all been hurt and so the barriers go up and it makes sense. That's a normal human response, but it's like, how do we move through those things so that we can actually step into the next part of our lives, not carrying some of these more painful emotions. And I'm not going to say that you'll never not feel sad again about that loss or that change that happened for you, but it's about resolving the really painful ones that are heavy for us to carry, the anger, the resentment, bitterness, guilt, shame, all those things, very difficult. And so the whole goal, like I'm a life coach and it's all about like stepping into thriving, like you said, and flourishing for who you're meant to be, whatever that is for you. But this tends to be the At least from my perspective this gets to be the um anchor sometimes for people that are keeping us limited that sabotage our mindset and our willpower to move through which it is there but that doesn't matter if you're bypassing your heart
0: set mindset doesn't really matter Mm, as you said yeah you can't power through it right and and um so it's true if we want to fully flourish we need to when we're faced with grief Work through it however it is that we need to do that. And you're men- you've mentioned some great ways to do that. And um, I just want to also ask because I know some of our listeners, and I was thinking this when we were talking earlier how do you know if you have unresolved grief? Mm-hmm. Like, what, how, because so if we really want to flourish, maybe some of, maybe women are, you're bumping into it and you don't even realize you are. So if people are sitting there right now saying, hmm, did I work through that or do I have unresolved grief? Would there be any sort of telltale signs that would let you know that that could be what you're dealing with?
1: Absolutely. So that can happen on a physical, mental, emotional, spiritual level for you. For me, because I'm stubborn (laughs) and a fixed mindset sometimes, it took a physical Um, shift in my system where I was getting symptoms. And for a lot of us, because we're busy and we don't have time or we're taking care of all the things and all the people, we put everybody's needs ahead of ours. And we know, you know, as someone that coaches this, that, you know, they talk about the oxygen mask for us first and we're all like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But we have to actually understand, no, no, this is actually what needs to happen because you can't show up in the way that you want to if you're constantly outputting and never allowing yourself to heal. So when it comes to unresolved grief, there's it usually happens because of three different reasons. One is because um, there's this sense of all the things that we could have done differently, better or more, which tends to create the feelings of regret and guilt and shame sometimes. The second part is um, all the unmet hopes, dreams, and expectations that we had for the future, which is where I got caught. That's that's why unresolved grief was like that's how I came to grief recovery. It wasn't through an acute loss. It was actually like all this unresolved stuff, and it was being able to – You know, the the unmet hopes, dreams, and expectations. Sometimes that's a loss of trust. So we feel betrayed that, you know, we trusted, we did the things to communicate. And, you know, someone else wasn't holding that same space for us. A loss of safety and security around relationships or losing a job or those kinds of things. So it can bring up some of those feelings. And then the last is the unexpressed communications. Like all the things that we've thought in our head both positive and negative. So all the things, well, I don't need to tell mom again that I love her, I tell her all the time, right? But then we didn't say it that last time, right? Or we didn't Mm -hmm. get an opportunity to say it that last time or to say what was truly in our hearts. Also for maybe those less than loving or more difficult relationships where we didn't speak our truth.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And that can sit heavy on us, right? Because it's that sense of like... um, Not honoring who we are and showing and having those healthy boundaries and setting that up for ourselves. So that's what I love about the work that I do because with my clients, what we often find moving through this, I call it the ABCs. So there's usually an awareness that will happen throughout the time that we're working together, which is that blind spot that they weren't consciously aware of, but now that you see it and you know it, you can't unknow it. Uh, So the awareness is huge in some cases, um, the B is boundaries. So the opportun- once you have an awareness, then we're aware that, ooh, I might need to actually set a new healthy boundary for myself that actually works better for me, which is where a lot of people will get pushback from the other people in their lives because they're used to you showing up a certain way. And now that you're showing up for yourself, truthfully, That's impacting them. And so there can be some pushback and that can be a difficult thing to navigate, which is why coaching or um, some other method of helping someone helping you through that process is important. And then the last one is the clarity and compassion piece, Mm -hmm. because once you have clarity, it's easier to take those healthy boundaries and stand in your awareness and the truth of who you are and flourish. And it's also having compassion for yourself, forgiving yourself for mistakes that have been made in the past, forgiving others. And that can be a difficult word for some people. Um, but that's what actually sets you free. And so, you know, in grief recovery, we talk about people who are like, I can't say the word forgive, and that's perfectly fine. Then we acknowledge that there's been pain caused by someone else's words, actions, or deeds for us. So we can still address it. If you're not feeling that you, when you say it, that I actually feel that forgiveness, um, then that's not an accurate word to use. So Mm -hmm. words are powerful for Mm -hmm. us. And, you know, when it comes to emotions, people think mad, Sad, happy. (laughs) They go with those three, and that's about it. But, you know, Brene Brown, just her latest book um, that came out last year, Atlas of the Heart, there's like more than 80 words to describe our emotional range that we have as human beings. And we don't have the vocabulary or the language to actually accurately say how I'm feeling inside. And again, if you can't accurately name it, then how are you supposed to process it, feel it? It.
0: Absolutely. Yes. And thank you for mentioning that and, and that book. And yes, dealing with our emotions and being able to, that's a beautiful book if for those of you that are, are interested um, to understand all the different emotions. And I remember her, people were asking her if she was going to translate the book. And she said no, because in different languages, there's so many nuances with emotions. And I, I thought that was really fascinating that even, so this is in English, at least the English <laughs> emotions, um, the, the words that are, are associated with different emotions. So, so, oh my gosh, Kirsten, there's so many things I, I, I still want to ask you. Um, we are, um, we do need to wrap you know. up. <laughs> we are out of time. But I, I would love to ask one final question that I ask all my guests, which is, and I think maybe you've touched on it already, but what's one thing you would recommend that women do or people that identify as women, what's one thing that you most recommend that they do to flourish in their lives?
1: Uh, to take personal responsibility for their own healing and not take responsibility for other people's healing.
0: Ooh, that's a good one. Take sure. responsibility for your own healing, but not others' the he- others' healing.
1: Yeah, I think as women, because it's that nurturing, we're responsible for our family, for our friends, for the work that we do. We kind of take that on. And in a lot of cases, that's not for us to take on. It's Mm -hmm. someone else's journey to be doing. And there may be a reason why they're moving through painful aspects of their life. There's lessons to be learned. As you know, when you move through your – it's usually the more difficult times in our life that we actually learn the most about ourselves. And the people around us and how that changes us moving forward. And so why would we want to take that opportunity away from someone else in an effort? Because we want to alleviate their suffering. But that's not your responsibility. So what you can do is just be, in grief recovery, we talk about it being a heart with ears. So just listening. Like just listening without trying to fix it. You know, or manage it or anything else like that. Mm. And so I always say, like, the last four things I would leave with you, if that's okay, is I would just remind the people that are watching or listening, is that you are not alone. That um, action is the key to your recovery. You need to honor your grief and allow yourself to move through it because it is a normal and natural process for every single human being. Uh, The last one that I would mention is that it's never too soon or too late to heal your broken heart. Mm.
0: Thank you for that. And I love how you said a heart with ears. And that really does describe Kirsten, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Well, she has normal size ears. She's wearing headphones right now. (laughs) Yeah, really, that's really beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. And so for those who are listening who would like to get in touch with you and perhaps they would would be interested in um, having some assistance in 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 their grief um, how can best people how can people best mm-hmm. connect with you The
1: best way is uh, through my website which is www.tlclifecoaching.com. Uh, I am also on Instagram and Facebook under TLC Life Coaching on Instagram and Be Your Best under Facebook. And um, always, I'm always happy to have a conversation, which is no obligation whatsoever. Uh, it's important for it to be a good fit. And also I know what's required to move through this work. And not everybody's ready to do that or has um, – and, and not because they can't. It's just it might not be the right time. And so I'm very um – I'm very uh, cautious about that in terms of making sure that people aren't wasting their time or their money in terms of something that might not be the best fit for them. And I am always happy to refer out to someone that might be a better fit for them or a different modality that would work for them. I'd also like to, um, I'm going to share this with you after, uh, Brenda, is that you can put it on the website notes or the podcast notes. Is I am going to give you a link for a free ebook for everybody that's taken the time to listen and to. And to uh, hear what we've had to say here so they can, uh, we'll talk about those six myths, but it'll Mm -hmm. go into more detail if they're curious to know more about that for themselves or for their family.
0: Wonderful. Thank you for that. So we'll make sure we include that link in the show notes. That's wonderful. That'll be really helpful for a lot of people. So thank you so much for being here today, Kirsten, for sharing um, with your heart and sharing so many great Um, ideas around how people can um, deal with grief so that they can flourish in their lives. Thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for listening to the She Flourishes podcast. I hope this episode has inspired you to keep on creating the flourishing life you deserve. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend who would benefit from it. And remember to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast wherever you're listening. To learn more about how you can live a flourishing life, head over to brendajasmin.com or follow me on Instagram at underscore Brenda jasmine. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode. In the meantime, keep on sharing your gifts with the world. See you soon.